Welcome to Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Jesse. I'm Dan. And I'm Lenny. And we're coming at you with, uh, I don't know, we're just robbing. We're going to be robbing you tonight with some <laughs> robbing kind of energy. Because, guys, we're doing Robin Hood. Yeah. 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 Real enthusiasm here <laughs> in the room. Um, yeah, we're doing this as part of our Chronological Crow series. So, obviously, we started with Noah because that is as far back in time as Russell Crowe's gone. That we know of, at least. Yeah. Maybe he's a real-life time traveler. Who knows? Because the way he bounces around time is wild. Because the next movie is, like, a few thousand years later, Gladiator. And this takes place, like, 1,200 years after that in the medieval ages. Um, yeah, so it's logically the next movie to do. Uh, yeah. Also, Dan, you picked out this movie. Why are we doing Robin Hood? Yeah, I will get into this with the nostalgia, but I, I grew up with all sorts of Robin Hood in my childhood. Um, it was probably the most common thing that we dressed up as when I was a kid. Like, we always loved to just play around as Robin Hood and watch Robin Hood movies. And, um, yeah, so this, this came out when I was, um, in college, and it was kind of an impor important movie to me then. I don't know about if it stood the test of time necessarily, but uh, yeah, it just seemed like a logical, chronological <laughs> choice to uh, to put it here. Um, it was either this or Les Miserables for Russell Crowe's time traveling, and we decided to go with this one, so... Missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, sure with Vito, we will we'll do Les Miserables at some point, I guarantee it. Um, yeah. Well, also, Les Miserables and like, Master and Commander are too close. Because Master and Commander is the last one in this series, right? They're too close in time. It's hard to tell where Russell Crowe is supposed to be. Is he supposed to be on the ship? Is he supposed to be chasing after Jean Valjean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a reason. I mean, it's it's a good reason. When you say chronological and logical together, I can't I can't repeat yeah. that. Argument. <laughs> so so we're doing Robin Hood, guys, and this is directed by Ridley Scott. We've he's come up before in this very series, and the last episode. This is the last episode is Gladiator, right? Yeah. yeah. In the last episode, Gladiator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here we have the classic team up of. Of Scott and Crow together again, and you would think that this would be as good as Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with Ridley Scott, you're always guaranteed a certain skill level. Like he's always making something, you know, it might not be the greatest thing you've ever seen, but it's going to be on a certain level of expertise. I don't know. I, the The Last Duel. I know we mentioned that one before mm -hmm. as like his most recent medieval movie. And I'm, I'm probably going to bring that movie up a few times in this because it's hard to like, it's hard to not talk about the most recent movie he made being a medieval movie and being such an incredible drama. Mm -hmm. And this movie that might not be on the same level, but 
you know, it's, it's kind of interesting the, the development that a director can go through over what, 12 years, 11 years. Yeah. And, and he also really likes, like I, in the last episode, Gladiator, we talked about like Swords and Sandals movies, right? Like he loves to direct those kinds of movies. And Medieval is like a, like a close sibling, Swords and Sandals, <laughs> if not actually a Swords and Sandals kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and it also seems like in, in all three of those movies, uh, he's doing, you know, sword and sandals or period movies that are very familiar periods, but he's mm-hmm. doing them in kind of a shocking, shockingly realistic way where, you know, we might all have a, a vision of what medieval Europe looked like or what a, what the Roman Empire looked like. And he's trying to add grit to that, it seems like. Yeah. In all his takes. Yeah. In some ways, he's a quintessential gritty guy. Yeah. Like, I remember my dad telling, explaining to me what made the alien so great. Because, like, it was, like, sweaty and grimy and dirty and, like, no one had seen sci-fi like that. Because normally sci-fi is, like, clean. Yeah, pristine ships. Yeah, pristine everything. This time you had the inside of ships look like the inside of people's rooms. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and just water dripping everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's gross. It's nasty. Yeah, but that that's, yeah, he's very into the, the sweat and the grime and the details of the settings. Which I always really appreciate. I think that's the expertise I really get in Robin Hood, to be honest. Like, I feel like the sets felt like a, it felt like a medieval village. The castle felt like a real castle. Everything in here seems to really function as like a practical world. I could see all of these things actually existing and being used by people. Yeah. It's not great, but I'm like, oh, those are the sorts of shit. That's how you get horses across the, the English Channel, right? That makes sense. I had never <laughs> thought about that before, but that is a, I mean, there are those little barges, like four horses on them and like a little compartment for people. It's like, man, that sucks. That <laughs> sucks for everybody. <laughs> uh, but yeah, our, our buddy Ridley Scott, he's back here. And um, we have some, some other writers this time. Brian Helgeland, who, I, I hope that's right. I don't know if I said his name right, but he did A Knight's Tale, Man on Fire, L.A. Confidential, Mystic River, Conspiracy Theory, and The Postman, just to name a few. Uh, I've seen most of those movies except The Postman, which uh, Letty was just telling me is a post-apocalyptic movie about a mailman. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's a wild plot. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a notorious flop. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that was Kevin Costner? Yeah, that's right. I I kind of want to see it now. I think it's a fun movie. To, I mean, I haven't seen it since high school, but I think it is a fun movie to watch. I'm sure there's people out there that that's their guilty pleasure. For yeah. Me, is the postman. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, it, it's like an apocalyptic war scenario where somebody has to get some messages across. That's basically 1917, right? That's all that movie is. Yeah. <laughs> but like with sort of the environment of Mad Max, you know, with just roving gangs of, of marauders. Which is always a fun world to be in. Yeah, why would I not want to watch that movie? That movie sounds awesome. <laughs> all right, Brian Hilgland. I, I kind of like all your movies. Man. I, um, I, I will say that seeing that he wrote a, a Knight's Tale does explain a little bit of like the close friends of Robin Hood in this movie where they're, they're kind of all kind of buffoonish. Like they're all kind of 
always joking and teasing each other. And like, I feel like their main, they're all kind of like a comedic relief in the movie. Um, all of Robin Hood's friends, you don't really feel like any of them are real people necessarily. Mm. Um, so that, that kind of made a little more sense to me once I saw that this Brian Helgeland did a Knight's Tale as well. It's like, yeah, that's probably what he was, you know, coming or pulling from was like medieval times. You got to have jokes and like banter and all the, the kind of the, the slapstick almost between the, the main friends. Yeah. Yeah. When you put it that way, that does make more sense. I guess like just looking at his, um, uh, at his screens, at his screenplays, not a lot of them are medieval, and the only other one is A Knight's Tale, so maybe he really was just like, oh, how do I do this? All right, he'll get all pull from A Knight's Tale. <laughs> but yeah, it does make more sense hearing that. Um, doing the story with him is also uh, Ethan Rafe and Cyrus Boris, who are a pair of writers that do a bunch of stuff that I hadn't really heard of, except for Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> They came up with the Kung Fu Panda characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, buffoonish characters. Again, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, for cinematography, we have John Thiessen. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, but we've actually encountered his movie before. In fact, this last one we did, Gladiator. He was the cinematographer for that one. He's also known for... Phantom of the Opera, Pan, Logan, Hannibal, X-Men First Class, and many others. This is probably the worst out of all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of shocked that it's the same guy because there's so many moments in Gladiator. There's so many memorable visual moments, you know, like the hand running through the grain and all the arena fights are so memorable. And I can't think of almost anything in this movie that's visually memorable to me. Okay, how about the moment when Robin Hood pulls, this is like one of the last scenes, pulls back his bow, and it's like, it's basically the poster shot. Yeah, I mean, it's the poster. <laughs> so I remember from the poster. <laughs> yeah, and then but, he fires the arrow and it like follows the arrow all the way to the target. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. It just <laughs> felt like Gladiator was consistently visually amazing to me. Oh, yeah, I'm this not arguing that. I'm just trying to find. Yeah, yeah. Something good cool. here, yeah. <laughs> um, I, the, some of the scenes with the the children, where it was, it was almost like a it felt like a horror element with these kids with the masks, and you didn't know what they yeah. were or if they were like, yeah, like barbarians or whatever. Until you find out that they're just children running around the forest. Um, some of those scenes were like, like pretty, pretty chilling, pretty scary. Um, yeah, and I guess it is a really striking opening because it does start with the kids stealing the grain from the barn. Yeah. So you're starting off with, yeah, these these masked uh, children running through the woods. So it is very it was, atmospheric. Yeah. yeah. That was the most confusing opening yeah. movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, is Robin Hood like a little crazy teenager who's going to grow up to be Russell Crowe? Is he going to be like a deranged psychopath? I want to see that Robin Hood. And no. <laughs> no, I'm not really sure what's up with the kids. I'm not sure why they're in this movie at all. Yeah. It almost seems like maybe they were more prominent in another draft of the movie. Yeah. Because they're barely in this movie. It, it's almost like Russell Crowe or Robin Hood 
learns from them and teaches them and then ends up like meshing the two, like, like his men that are like, you know, veteran soldiers with these, you know, kids of the forest. And that's how he makes his merry men at the end. Right. Cause this is an origin story at the end of it. Like this Wait is a second that happens. Yeah. At the very end that he like, this is like the end of this is the start of Robin. Hood, okay. Yeah. Right? I, I knew that. I mean, so, like his merry men are actually married children. I think it's a, it's a mixture of the two. Like, like the children are like, know everything about how to, you know, survive in the forest and hide in trees and all this. And then his men are like the real fighters. And so that like, I, I saw it as like, they, you know, they join forces in the end in the final battle. And then that's how like, the real merry men, you know, of the forest are created. That's an origin story, I guess that makes sense, but that means that it's Russell Crowe's Robin Hood living with a bunch of children. I mean, they the gr- I'm sure they grow up at some point. <laughs> yeah, but that, it's also just kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I think the children are like, there's a wide range of ages and I think it's boys and girls. So I don't think it's like just kids. It's not just a bunch of little kids. They're like teenagers and stuff too. So it's like, you know, give yeah. them a couple of years and they're adults ready to fight. I'm uh, not sure if that makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it seems like it's sort of one of many kind of half-baked political, political ideas in this movie where it's all about how the, the oppressors have completely destroyed the economy of this town. And all the kids have no work and no food, so they run off to the forest. Um, so maybe there's some kind of, I don't know, political message that's meant to be. <laughs> What's the message? <laughs> if, if the economy sucks, children will go run to the forest? If that's so, <laughs> our kids are screwed, I guess. <laughs> they should be fleeing right now. <laughs> D, all right, but for real, you, you think that there's a, a political message right there? Sort of. I mean, I think there's, there's, I don't know, maybe we get into this later, but there's the weird thing about how, you know, Robin Hood invents the Bill of Rights. And there's just like, it seems like there's some half baked ideas about, uh, about politics in this movie, about how a, men are meant to, about men are meant to organize and be ruled and mm-hmm. what's wrong with the medieval system. I thought he was inventing Parliament. Like um, representation. Yeah, sort pe- of. Like, He's inventing like, democracy. I thought he was inventing like a system that puts like a, a Senate basically on equal footing with the king. That would give everybody... Because if you have representatives representing the people going out... Yeah, and, so I actually listened to a podcast uh, today uh, about this movie that was... One of the hosts was a, a medieval historian. And so they were going through all the inaccuracies in this movie. And one of the things she pointed to <laughs> oh, no. was that it seems like you could argue that that whole, you know, kind of um, the charter thing in this movie is meant to be a reference to the Magna Carta. But the difference she was saying is that the Magna Carta is really all about the lords leveraging their power with the king. And yeah. it has nothing to do with the common man. And it seems like this movie is really trying to push, uh, you know, every man's house's castle and... You know, right to trial and right to um, you know hunt as you please. You know, yeah. It's like there's a very like uh, almost like communist, a very like <laughs> you know equal rights for everyone type of message, which seems wildly out of place in a realistic medieval. 
Yeah. Which is one of the problems I have with this movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this movie is definitely of its time. Like it's definitely made in 2010 and it was trying to cater or like trying to, I don't know if pander is the right word, but like it's trying to please our political mindsets nowadays. Yeah. Like our modern sensibilities. Yes, exactly. And, and so I think that definitely probably comes through in that. Um, I know I only know of a couple different historical inaccuracies that my wife pointed out that really, really annoyed her. Um, but I'm sure that that historian pointed out a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually something I thought of that question to ask is like, how much should we care about historical inaccuracies in a movie? It's, I mean, because the obvious thing is to say that that like means it's garbage, that it's like, oh, it, it was lazy, like it was written lazily or it's not like we always tend to value realism over, you know, too much creative license. And so when a movie is in a time and place in history, like how much should the writers and the director care about in it, like accuracies? I yeah, I think they should care enough. But also, like, I, I watched a movie apparently with a totally different filter on it because I thought they were talking about creating the English Parliament. Oh. <laughs> and let me thought they were talking about creating a a, a commune. A yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, it's, not probably, it's probably like the language they used, right? Of like, they used uh, buzzwords or like taglines of that egalitarian like mentality that we now have in, you know, 21st century, not. Well, it seems like they're also talking a lot about protections, right? Protections and equal rights for everybody. Which seems less, it's less about, there's not a lot of talk about representation. It's about, we want on paper that we have these rights and then you can't just throw us in jail for no reason. Feels like they're using a bunch of American words. Yeah. It's very American, which is very out of place in this movie. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I mean, going back to the historical thing, that is something that always confused me about Gladiator, because obviously it's it's fiction, but it is mixed pretty well with some real historical figures and yeah, um, like uh, yeah, the the emperor who dies, he's a real character. I mean, he's a yeah. real historical figure. And from that podcast I was listening to, I mean, there is a lot of similarities. You know, there was a French invasion, but it was basically that the nobles were so fed up with King John's taxes that they basically invited the French to come invade. So there nice. is a lot of events that almost line up, but are different, mm-hmm. okay. which is weird, but I guess, yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about that. Same thing happened with gladiator. We talked about yeah. that in, in the last episode, but like, um, yeah, cause doesn't name? that movie end with them restoring the Senate? Restoring. Uh, well, well, not at least really that's what they were trying to do. That that, was, that's that's yeah. what's implied. Yeah. Uh, but the Which, idea that uh, wait, what's his name? What's the emperor's name? Commodus. 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 He's the villain. yeah. Commodus really was assassinated, and he really did practice as a gladiator in the yeah. ring. And he was assassinated by a guy called Narcissus, and that was supposed to be Maximus's name in Gladiator, but they changed it because and it wasn't. Is, he wasn't like a formal jet general or anything. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they changed the story completely, and apparently they they made up the story like on the spot a lot. Okay. Like Maximus <laughs> wasn't supposed to die at first, and uh-huh. then Russell Crowe's like he needs to die, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I you, think that happened like, a lot in this movie too. 
<laughs> Even like the size of the Coliseum, we said it was like, it's like three times too big yeah. in, the, in the movie. And it's, I'm totally fine with stuff like yeah. that. Cause it's, you know, it's more exciting if it's that big. Like I can't, I can't blame a director for like being a little more loose yeah. with things that make the movie more exciting. And then, yeah, yeah Commodus died in the bathtub historically. Yeah. But now he's dying in, yeah. you know, in the amphitheater, in, in, in his, <laughs> yeah. the Coliseum. Um, and it like, is really such, it's such a great revenge story. Yeah. That, yeah, it wouldn't have the same effect if he wasn't a former general whose wife and kids were killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great arc. But, like, yeah, and I'm not a British historian, and I, like, I don't pretend to understand their politics and all their political systems as well as, as I probably should. But, like, I know enough for for that to have thrown me out of the movie. Like, I had to come up with the parliament argument on my own. Just be like, I, I, guess, I guess this could be parliament. I don't really see parliament around. I guess that's what they're going for. But that was all me. It was clearly not in the movie at all. Uh, but that I think that's when the, the history thing really suffers. Because, like, if I have to supply the info, that's not as good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I... Yeah, and it's something that directly contradicts something that I think most people know, which is, you know, they, they're not a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> they were a monarchy for a very long time. Yeah. Still are, technically. Yeah, I mean, constitutional monarchy. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the cinematographer. Uh, yeah. A uh, little tangent. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, Russell Crowe, of course, stars in this movie. Um, with one of the worst accents. <laughs> I really hated his accent in this movie. He fades in and out of it sometimes. Like, what is his accent in here? Is it I like honestly Irish? didn't notice an accent. I, I didn't notice either. Oh, it's really bad when you notice it. Okay. Okay. Because it comes on. Now I don't, I don't want to watch it again now. I'm going <laughs> to notice that now. I don't know how you could not. It comes on. <laughs> well, actually, I know why. Because it's inconsistent. Sometimes he doesn't have it. Okay. There are scenes where he doesn't, and there are scenes where he has it really strongly. And it feels, like, really thick and fake, and, yeah, it was pretty bad. Okay. But, um, yeah, that's what I got to say about Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kate Blanchett, who was recently in Nightmare Alley. She's also, we've talked about, well, I guess we haven't talked about her, but she's in How to Train Your Dragon 2 and 3. Um, she's in the Hobbits and the LOTR movies. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings movies for those of you who don't know what LOTR stands for. <laughs> um, we talked about her previously on Cinderella, where she played the evil stepmother. Um, she's in Indiana Jones 4, <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Remember her? I think she's one of the better parts of that movie. She's the best part of that yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the sword fight on top of the moving jeeps, it's great. Oh, oh yeah. She's great. It's a terrible movie, but she's good. Wait, do we do we like her more as a villain or as a protagonist? Villain. Or villain? Oh yeah. I mean I think Lord of the Rings is a great example of her kind of towing the line. Sure. You know, there's that moment in was it Rivendell where she has that moment where Frodo offers her the ring. Lothlorien. Lothlorien, yeah. yeah. And then you see that she could be a villain. Yeah. yeah. That was a great moment. Yeah. I mean she's got a great menace face, for sure. <laughs> right. Um Oh, also, like, Easter egg with her. She's in Hot Fuzz. She plays the girlfriend at the beginning of the movie. But you never see her face. She's, like, dressed up in, like, what is she? She's hazmat or... 
Yeah, she's like person. CSI. Yeah, she's like a CSI person digging around for evidence in a house, and she's wearing a mask and a suit. Um, so you don't really ever see her face, but yes, she plays an uncredited role in Hunt Bucks. And yeah, she's um, she's all right in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she's never bad. She wasn't bad. Well, I I like I like her acting in this. I I have problems with the character <laughs> and the character choices. Yeah, I thought I thought she did great. I mean, she has a great accent because obviously I think she is British. And yeah, I, I've I've always enjoyed watching her act. Another movie I really like her in is Babylon. Have you guys ever seen that? I don't think so. Um, it came out a few years ago. It got some, I think it got some Oscar buzz, but it's uh, Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett, and um, it's one of these movies that there's like four or five different totally unrelated plot lines happening in the movie. Okay. And then they kind of interweave in weird ways that you don't expect. Um, but it's, it's very good. It's definitely more of a slow burn, but it's, um, it's a really good drama. Um, yeah, there, awesome. I remember, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I'd recommend it for sure. No, give that a watch. But yeah, she's, she's not bad in this movie. There are some moments where I thought it was, it was extra cheesy but kind of silly but maybe that was more of a screenplay than her um and then we also have uh matthew mcfadden mcfadden Fadden. we'll say Mc matthew mcfadden <laughs> um he plays mr darcy from pride and prejudice tom 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 from succession he's been in there three seasons for now we love succession i'm pretty sure we've mentioned on the show many times before but he is probably the most compelling and best part of the show yeah. <laughs> because he's so funny. Yeah. He's such a great character in that. He also plays Athos in the Three Musketeers that came out like 10 years ago. I thought that was weird because I cannot, I didn't see the movie, but I cannot picture him. Yeah. As a musketeer <laughs> at all. But he was. What a dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also have Max von Sydow. This guy has a career that spans, like, I don't know, 60 years or something like that. He's been in Minority Report, extremely loud and, and incredibly close. He has a, a voice in Skyrim, the video game, uh, Shutter Island, The Force Awakens. Uh, he's Three-Eyed Raven in Game of Thrones. He's um, he's in the older 80s Dune. Uh, so basically this guy has been every nerd movie that's ever come out. <laughs> um, he's Blofeld and never say never again. He's, he's the protagonist in the exorcist and he plays Jesus in the greatest story ever told. And it's also the protagonist of the seventh seal. Yeah. <laughs> what a career. Yeah. This guy is his voice. There's something he's got one of those voices that I could probably listen to like anytime, always. He's just got an amazing voice and it's he's always compelling. Yeah. I think he's he's one of my favorite things in this movie. Like every scene that he's in, I'm much more interested to like hear what he has to say and I feel like his lines are some of the best as well. Like what he what he says to Robin Hood, what he says to Maid Marian. Um He's just a great. I feel like his character in this is probably the most uh, compelling of all the characters. 
Yeah. Agree with that a hundred percent. He's the best part of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, the blind father. I even love like I yeah, he brings the most drama to everything. Um, because like it's it's his son that died, right? And his son dies before he can forgive him. And he's finding that out and trying to figure out what to do with himself now. That's such a cool concept. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. seems like there's a lot of kind of forced emotion or relationships in this movie. Like the main romantic relationship doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. The the way that uh, Robin Hood's men kind of join up with him seems abrupt and mm. but this seems like there's real emotion in, in, and uh, yeah so there's depth to what he's doing here yeah this is you're right this is the only relationship I really cared about yeah and, and it's entirely due to his acting and the way he's pulling it off yeah for sure also also the writing that's one time the writing is really like oh that's kind of interesting actually mm. you know like a son dying before you can forgive him that doesn't happen a whole lot um uh, we also have Oscar Isaac. Uh, we've talked about him before. You can listen back to our, our Dune episode um, when, when we talk about him. Um, but he does play uh, Leto Atreides in Dune. And what's weird is the next guy I want to mention is William Hurt, who also played Leto Atreides in a Dune miniseries from 2000. Like, this is the third guy of the cast who's been in <laughs> Dune before. I don't know why. Where is the intersection between Robin Hood and Dune? <laughs> I think Dune's going to be the new Kevin Bacon. It's like everything has, the, what is it, six degrees of Kevin Bacon? <laughs> Everything's going to be six degrees of Dune. It's going to be one degree of Dune. One? <laughs> Everybody's going to be in that movie. Uh, but he's also in a lot of... He's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as uh, General Ross... Been in a few Avengers movies, Black Widow and Incredible Hulk. He's also in The Village. He's been in a lot more, but we've gone on cast for probably way too long at this point. Uh, but last guy we want to mention is... Actually, there's two more guys we're going to mention. Hold on right <laughs> here. There's Mark Strong, who's in 1917, Shazam, Kingsman 2, Kick-Ass, Rock and Rolla, Tinker Taylor, Sol Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. My goodness. To name a few movies. Wait, who does he play in Kick-Ass? I don't remember. Because I don't remember him in Kick-Ass. He's definitely in Kick-Ass. I want to say he's a villain. I think he's a villain. Okay. I can't picture him in that, but I... Villain. The... Oh, I'm still thinking of Kick-Ass 2. Alright, because it's the kid who's a villain in Kick-Ass 2, right? Right. Is he the dad of the kid? Now that I'm one? thinking about it, I thought the dad was like a Russian gangster or something. Could be this guy. I could see Mark Strong playing the rest Russian gangster, no problem. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's the father. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just think of him as the Kingsman guy, because I love his character in the Kingsman movies. Um, that's For me, that's who he is. And then everything else <laughs> is like, oh, he's he's playing a different role from the Kingsman guy. <laughs> I don't remember in Kingsman at all. Oh, really? He's he's like the tech guy that's like... Um, he kind of introduces our hero to the world. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he's like the one guy that everybody trusts. Like, even even when there's distrust amongst the other Kingmen, or there's like some, a bunch of them are being killed, 
okay. he's the one that everybody trusts that comes to like to um not save the day but he's like i guess at the end he kind of does save the day he's the one at the very end of the first one that actually flies uh the main kid to the to the lair or whatever okay i was trying to remember what else i remember from he's in sherlock holmes remember the one with oh. um, leonardo dicaprio because I kept having the mental image of the tooth. He has like a fang in the middle of his mouth. Leonardo mm. DiCaprio and Sherlock Holmes? Sorry, not Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Robert Downey? Robert Downey. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Okay. <laughs> I thought I missed out on the whole series of Sherlock Holmes with Leonardo DiCaprio. Holly, that, Holly, would, it be would that work? Leonardo DiCaprio. All right, let's do sidebar for this, I guess. <laughs> this is pretty far off. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, and Sherlock Holmes. Would that work? Go. <laughs> I don't know if at, at this age, maybe when he was younger, he might be at the perfect age for like an older Sherlock Holmes. Like he's been well established with Watson. Okay, but what what DiCaprio role makes you think he could play Sherlock Holmes? Has he ever played like a like a genius, like a smart genius, or a? I mean, I guess in um, Catch Me If You Can, he's like a child prodigy. Yeah, he's a brilliant. He's yeah, like he's a con cool. artist. Yeah, he's, like yeah, he plays the charismatic con artist. Yeah, I don't know. If, can you pull off a brain genius? Like a what do you call that? I, yeah, I'm trying to think of any roles that I've ever seen him in. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it. I'm just saying yeah. I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I can see it. Yeah, maybe well, you need someone more loquacious. You know, someone more. Okay, it seems like well, he does a lot of kind of brooding in in Inception. Right, he he's kind of a genius in Inception. Like yeah. he's the guy who always comes up with everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, at least in the the Sherlock show, which is where most of my feeling about Sherlock is now, it seems like he needs to be witty and he needs to have banter. And I can't really see Leonardo DiCaprio having banter. It doesn't seem like that's something he usually does. What he's had has he not had banter before? He has, he's had banter. In what movie? Like, fun banter. You oh, know? I, I have to look this up. <laughs> I feel like he's often serious and kind of brooding. Yeah, he Which is. Which is great. Yeah. It's fun to watch, but... He he plays... Like, lately, he's uh, manic, right? Like, yeah. that's his character. Is He is crazy, like, The Revenant or, you know, Wolf of Wall Street or... Uh, what else has he been in lately? Uh, Django. Once upon, once, upon a time, once upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, but that's great for Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes can't be very manic like that. That's true. Yeah. I guess I just don't see him with, like, the quick, snappy comeback. Which, maybe that's not essential to Sherlock Holmes. Maybe that's just the Sherlock show. No, you just need to call... He just needs to call Watson an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think Leonardo DiCaprio can do that. Uh, All right, he's pretty... In The Departed, he constantly has, like, quick comebacks, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Very, it's very combative, but yeah, I guess yeah. it is, with, like, the, uh, the the other cops, his handlers. Yeah, so, I yeah, I can see it. I think... I feel like he's always brooding, or charismatic, or manic. And I I, I guess the, the manic part, I could see turning into, like, a smart genius with some witty banter, but... I don't know. What about like Jay Gatsby in The Big Gatsby? 
There's like the, the he's, char- the, he's the charismatic one in that. Yeah. Which, and I agree. He's charming. So okay. he's got a... All right. So he seems like he's got a bunch of different things in a bunch of different movies. That yeah. If you combine them, <laughs> could be Sherlock Holmes. Well, I guess here's the question, because it seems like this might be essential Sherlock Holmes. Do you, do you... Have you ever gotten a sense in a movie of his that he's the smartest person in the room? The Great Gatsby. He always seems like the smartest person. And in, and in Inception. See, in Inception, I never thought of him as the smart one. I thought of him as, like, the... He's the leader. He's the leader who's, like, quick on his feet. Like, he thinks fast, but he's not a, like, I'm going to sit up all night playing on the violin and then come up with, like, the solution to this crime smart. I always think of him as, like, the... Like, I can figure out how to, you know, how to break open the vault while we're robbing the bank kind of smart. Like the, the savviness rather than like the, I don't know, yeah. brain deduction smart. I don't know. Well, it seems like he's that in The Departed as well. He's usually very like tactical in The Departed. Like yeah. he's not the smartest one, but he can be. He's quick that. on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's what that's what I'm that's what I mean. I don't think he's ever played Sherlock Holmes, but I think if you combine yeah. <laughs> all of his characters and little bits and traits, I think he could do. It. I mean, no question, I would watch it. <laughs> no all right, all right. I'm gonna end that sidebar. That was that was pretty far off. All right, um, all right. Last guy we're gonna mention in this cast, Kevin Durand, who's come up on our show like three times before. 310 to Yuma, we've done that movie twice, and he's come up, I think, both times. He's the guy who gets stabbed in the throat. <laughs> With a fork. With a fork. And then he was just in a couple episodes ago in this series, Noah, he played the rock angel. One of them. One of them. Uh, Ramil. So anyway, Kevin Durand, he's in this movie too. Uh, of those three roles, I think I rank it. 310 to Yuma at the top. He's just really annoying. That's exactly what he's supposed to be. Then the angel, and then this guy. <laughs> I, he's I don't, little John in this movie. I, I guess he's like, no, he's all right. Yeah, I feel like, well, I don't even know what angel he played. I just know that he played an angel. So Angels were pretty, I don't know how to, how do you rank uh, voice acting amongst other acting. It's hard to compare. Well, how much I like the movie, that is exactly what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. I do like him as Little John. He's he's funny. And I feel like that's what Little John is. Like, his Little John is meant to be the comedic relief for a Robin Hood movie. Yeah, I think, I guess you're right. Uh, but, Dan, when you first saw this movie, what were your impressions? Uh, so I saw this uh, when it first came out, which was 2010, um, I, su- I saw it soon after there. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it like on, you know, we rented it pretty soon after it came out. And um, my sisters actually were the ones that recommended it. They were, they really, really liked it. They, uh, Russell Crowe was obviously a huge part of my high school years. Mm. The the movies that came out during that time were were massive and, so Russell Crowe was just an important part of my young adult life and my teenage life. And so to hear that he was doing a Robin Hood movie, as I mentioned earlier, Robin Hood was like everything to me as a kid. Um, we'd make bows and arrows and 
um, dress up in green and all that stuff. Like as kids that Robin Hood was just the, like a huge part of my, um, my childhood with my brothers and everything. We, uh, we loved movies about Robin Hood. We loved the idea of like going out into the wild and shooting bad guys from trees. Oh yeah. And I'm sure I share that with a lot of, a lot of people, but um, so to hear that Russell Crowe is in Robin Hood was like a dream come true. And I remember um, a lot of people were a bit upset with the movie. Like I heard about a lot of criticism before it, that it wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't Russell Crowe as Robin Hood up in trees shooting at bad people, um, that there was a lot more like drama to it. And that it was like, that it just wasn't your typical Robin Hood story. So I already knew that going into it. Um, so I watched it with my sisters. And um, for me, I remember the first time I watched it, which was this last time I watched it a few days ago was the second time I've watched it. So I've, I've only seen it twice. But the first time I watched it, I remember being very struck by the relationships of the characters. Um, I remember being very struck by uh, Max von Sydow's character, the father, mm -hmm. uh, Lord Lux Loxley, um, his relationship with his daughter and with, um, with Robin Hood himself. I remember being struck by Prince John and his, um, I forget her name, the, the, his, the French princess that he's, um, that he ends up marrying. I remember being very struck by their conversations and the drama and the politics and the mother of the king that is like totally, you know, being cast by the wayside by Prince John. I just remember all of the relationships and the drama being interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And this last time watching it, a lot of that did not seem interesting to me. <laughs> but looking back, I was like, why did I like this movie so much back then? And I think I think it's because I hadn't really enjoyed movies for those relationships. Like I, this was like a first movie that I realized, wow, a like a period drama can be interesting just for like those conversations, those like adult moments where they're just, the characters are just talking mm. like up to that moment in my life. I think I always saw those as the boring parts of movies. And this movie, I started to appreciate that in movies. And so I think that's why I had a very, a very fond memory of this movie. And I still do. I still, I still, um, I still like it quite a bit, but I definitely saw a lot of the holes in the, the kind of the sloppiness of the characters this last time around, but this is a different person. I mean, 20 year old me and 30 year old me, very different people. And so I, I kind of, I just chalk it up to like, that's just what time does to you. Like your movies that you love in one part of your life, you're, you know, you're, you're always going to change and, and grow and become a different person that appreciates other things. And, um, so yeah, that's a long way of saying that I really, really love this movie and there's still like a nostalgia for me when I watch mm. it. But, um, yeah. What about, what about you, Lenny? What's your nostalgia for this movie? Yeah. So are we doing nostalgia and, what we think of the movie or, or kind of just the yeah subject? yeah i think okay. the same yeah okay same time. It was too so i have basically no nostalgia no matter like 
I, I, I have a vague memory of seeing it in college, but honestly, I might have seen it for the first time this year. Like, <laughs> I just have, I have no memory of it. And there are certain movies that I saw a long time ago that, you know, I, I give it another chance and realize that I was, I was wrong. You know, like the first time I saw Citizen Kane, I didn't think much of it. And I rewatched mm. it recently and was just stunned by so much of it. This was not one of those cases. I, <laughs> I have no plans to see this ever again. I think, I think it's, it's a weird movie because I think, I think it's one of those weird cases where it has a lot of the elements of a good movie. You know, I think the acting is solid. I think like it's an expensive looking, you know, great, you know, well choreographed action. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is good. I think the, uh, it's kind of a, a fast moving, complicated plot, which should be compelling. But somehow I just think none of it really works. That it's got all these parts that are solid, but it doesn't add up to anything to me. So, yeah, no memory of it originally. And uh, this rewatch kind of confirmed to me how forgettable this movie is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's tough. I'm sorry, I'm going to interject here. It's tough because I feel like we've had such good medieval movies since. 2010 yeah like we've had some really like the last duel is the one that keeps popping into my head as like that movie is so realistic and gritty and um like very very mature very very serious Mm -hmm. the acting the screenplay is all really tight and really well designed um and so i another one that comes to mind is like the king with um Timothée uh, Chalamet as uh, Henry V, I think. And that movie, again, is like, it's so realistic and made me, watching it, I'm like, this is what the medieval times looked like. This is exactly how they looked. It's not pulling any punches. It's not putting any silver lining on anything. It's just brutal medieval times. And I almost feel like movies like that are ruining previous medieval times movies for me that maybe had a little bit of that like sugar coating and were kind of like clearly made in the early in the 2000s mm-hmm. and uh so i don't know I, do you feel like that could yeah. be the case as well I, I was thinking a lot about the last duel and i think in a lot of ways this movie is succeeds where or sorry the last duel succeeds where this movie failed um and it, it seems like yeah, like maybe he was he was going for a similar idea in this, and I, so another thing I did to prepare for this movie is last night I watched the um, the Errol, Errol Flynn um, Adventures of Robin Hood, mm-hmm. and that movie is almost completely the polar opposite of this movie, where it's very bright and colorful and um, everything like it looks kind of fake, like there's clearly you know stage sets, yeah. you can see all the horse riding, all the action is sped up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the performances are very kind of theatrical and a little bit over the top. Yeah. But I think that's what works. I think that's what you want in Robin Hood. I think you want that quippiness, mm-hmm. that over the top, that colorful bright. So I almost feel like this movie suffers by being a Robin Hood movie. And The Last Soul Succeeds because it wasn't a Robin Hood movie. And it's more clearly, in my mind, what, what really Scott was going for. You know, mm-hmm. kind of bring out that medieval grittiness and also having some commentary about, you know, kind of the gender politics of that age. Yeah. You know, the relationships between men and women and, and power dynamics and 
you know, nobles and commoners, that he was really able to delve into those things because he wasn't working off an existing property, which seems to clash with the ideas that he's interested in, to me. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't feel like modern medieval movies have ruined older ones for me. It's, it's more like... Um, okay, I, I guess there is one aspect that is ruined, like, for this one. I think it's trying to be really, really gritty and realistic at parts. And then it ends up being really silly in other parts unexpectedly, like when all the guys are like tied up and they're all like walking yeah. in a circle of the town. Like, I have 11 miles to go. <laughs> well, that's, I think this movie has a confusion of tone because, yeah. right, it's trying to be gritty, but it's also like PG 13 violence. You know, yeah. there's no blood, there's no gore, there's no limbs getting chopped off. You know, like The Last Duel is so much especially those combat scenes are so much more brutal than this yeah. where yeah. it feels like this movie can't decide what it wants to be. You know, at times it's dark mm -hmm. and brooding, but it also has kind of the lost boys storyline, which seems like it's from a sillier movie. Yeah. Or, so, or maybe no from a much darker movie. It's hard yeah. to tell if the lost boys <laughs> thing is supposed to be like a horror element or it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. It could be either one. And uh, like that, that scene in the end where there's the battle and all the kids run on with, with Marion seems like a very, a much sillier kind of kids movie thing, you know. I laughed really hard. Yeah, <laughs> Marion is leading a bunch of kids to a battlefield. You've got to be kidding me! Well, she didn't even need to be there. They already have armies. She I'm has sure like fifteen I'm kids. I'm sure it made sense on paper, but like, <laughs> she needs to be in this. And made Marion. Rides off with kids. <laughs> yes, that sounds epic. That's the perfect conclusion to the arc of the Lost Boys. <laughs> well, especially since that scene has such a heavy D-Day imagery. Oh, you yeah. know, with the landing boats. It's practically yeah. World War II scene. Yeah. But then there's this kid. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bunch of kids on yeah. D-Day. <laughs> oh, man, that's terrible. Yeah. that That's also why that, that scene is particularly dumb. I, we're going to talk about that more later. Yeah, yeah. so but, what's your nostalgia, Jesse? <laughs> oh, I have none. I just saw it, like, a few days ago. Uh, I, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. My wife enjoyed it. She said She said it was fun. Yeah. Um, My wife uh, enjoyed it, too, actually. Yeah. She, like, really... She really liked it until the final... 15, 20 minutes. She really liked it until that final part. Okay. So, yeah, um, I'm sure I'll talk about that later, but... Yeah. Uh, like... Yeah, I, I honestly don't know why my wife liked it that much. It does... She just said it, it was fun. It was kind of... I think she was expecting dumb fun, and this... And that's what she got. Um, and I... Yeah, I was disappointed on, on so many levels. Um, I... Like we said at the beginning of the podcast, this is Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe. Like, you're expecting a gladiator, and this ain't gladiator. And, you know, even though Robin Hood could be a Maximus, very easily, right? This should be, like, the character from Gladiator was, like, very charismatic, and he was at the very bottom of society, but was able to lead a group of men and a stage of political rebellion, that's crazy. That seems like something that could happen to Robin Hood, though. It seems like kind of what Robin Hood is doing. You know, he's leading a bunch of men for a political rebellion. Yeah. Sure. Like, let us let me see that story. Um, and, and that's not 
I mean, like, I, I get that, but in, in Gladiator, there was, you know, like, it was about a, a leader who had, like, a vision and, like, a strong motivation. Yeah. Which was both, like, uh, to bring Rome back to what it was because of a duty that was bestowed upon him and, and a, a revenge story. And in Robin Hood, it's kind of like, he has no motivation to do anything other than people ask him, hey, could you return the sword to my father? Could you stay here and pretend to be a husband and run the land? Well, that's that's the thing is like the very opening scene where we meet Robin Hood. He's like a he's like a swindler with the cups and the balls. And he's just like, I mean, I, I, they're trying to show he's just like an average soldier that is very talented with his bow. But it doesn't make sense with where they want to go with the character, which is where like that he's this, you know, has a great sense of righteousness and that he, he wants to, to be a leader of the people and help them rise against the evils of, you know, of this dictator. Like it, it doesn't make sense The the one scene where, you know, he fesses up to, or he, he takes the blame right for the, uh, the, the ruckus that was happening, right. That somebody mm-hmm. bumps into the King and, and, and he takes the blame for it. That's, that's like his moment of, you know, like, oh, wow, he's a great guy because he, like, took he's the blame. Honest. Yeah. Yeah, like, he's he's honest, and he, like, took the fall for, for I think it was for Little John. And and then they're in the stocks, and it's like, okay, so that worked out for him. Like, it, it was, like, a moment of honesty, <laughs> and now it, it was just very, like, you never got a sense that he had a profound um, motivation. And, yeah. And so then to later on be, like, Oh, and by the way, like he's going to become this leader of the people. You yeah. just don't feel like that's who he is. And 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 later he brings forth like the the new Magna Carta, the Constitution, yeah. right? Basically, that's what it, what that's supposed to be. And it's like, where did he come up with this? Yeah, like I mentioned that his father was like a political philosopher or whatever. It's like, but he's never said anything smart in this movie. Yeah, like where does he come up with the whole political system all on his own? Yeah. That's wild. I don't buy that for a second. He had vague memories of that one catch line, the uh, lambs will become lions or whatever. (laughs) Like that was, that was everything was just this like vague memory of his father dying for a quote on a rock. Oh, also, I know that it's meant to be more profound than that, but that's how it was portrayed is like, that's all he remembered was his father dying for something. And And that is such a cringy memory thing they do in the movie where like he touches the stone and the memory comes back. <laughs> oh, it's just cringy. And then, but then in that flashback, you find out his other catchphrase, which is the science of memory. It's also from his <laughs> yeah, dad. Right. It's like, I, first off, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Second, like, why, why is that your catchphrase? Like, why have you been saying that for years? Like doing that little cup thing, being like the science of memory. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, and it seems like they changed Maybe they changed the the origin uh, for the reason of this kind of political, you know, subplot. But actually, it seems like the original um, story of Robin Hood makes way more sense with kind of the arc you were talking about, kind of similar to Gladiator, right? Because to my understanding, the original idea of of Robin Hood is that he is, he's a nobleman, right? Yeah. He's the baron or whatever. He's supposed to be rock. I could be totally wrong. Um, but when I looked up legends, I don't think it's supposed to be 
Robin Longstrider. I think it's supposed to be Robin Locksley. Yeah, it's supposed the to be Robin Locksley. The guy he's impersonating in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and he's supposed to be the lord of that area. And then he, I can't remember why, but he becomes an outlaw. But so that, that seems to make more sense where he has a vested interest in this community and he's defending his own people as an outlaw, as opposed to just a random guy who happens to come to this town because he was given a sword and decides to help these people. You know, a really you know? simple like screenplay change that you could just do for this movie is like, just make him Robin Loxley. Yeah. Like why is, why change the story? It doesn't, you know, why does he have to, why does he have to be the guy returning the sons to his father. Why couldn't he be going back to his father, have a complicated relationship with him? Yeah. The father dies before he can apologize. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been everything this movie is going after, which is more dramatic and better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it sort of gets back to that kind of like shoehorned in American ideals of him being a common man that rises to be a leader as opposed to being a nobleman of noble blood. I mean, so maybe that's the idea. Yeah, but the nobleman is just, that's such. I like that story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Uh, um. All right. Wait. Sorry. This is this is supposed to be my my yeah, first right. impressions of the movie. I guess. <laughs> uh, I guess. What what I was left with at the end of the movie, like I didn't think it was like terrible. I felt mostly that it was bland. Um. I thought like the the ending battle D Day scene. I thought that was cool. I. Like I was saying before, I really enjoyed the setting. Um, uh, I I did enjoy like seeing a, a medieval landscape. That always gets me. I, I kind of think that's cool. Um, but like I I really just felt at the end that like eh, there was no arc for anybody. Nobody really goes undergoes like change. Really, yeah. Uh, everybody's essentially the same as when they started. And even the whole country seems to be mostly the same as when it started. Yeah. Uh, and except for Robin Hood's living out in the forest. And so this movie ends exactly where I thought it would begin. Mm. Just like, oh, he's an outlaw. Yeah, I and, wonder if part of the problem with this movie is that it seems like it's very clearly setting up a sequel, which yes. is the Robin Hood story. So they're really banking on this being successful enough to make the real Robin Hood. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't help but think, and they just saved way too much for the sequel. Yeah, I think this entire movie is just supposed to be another Universal franchise for them yeah. to have to rival the MCU. And that clearly did not work out. This is so clearly supposed to be a setup for more things to come, like more stories based off of maybe other parts of uh, Europe going on at the time with other with with the Merry Men and Robin Hood and Miriam and maybe even Prince John. Um, like you could have lots of sequels, prequels, and stories about this, but it just—that's why it doesn't really end anything. It just stays open. Yeah, that's what I was left feeling with at the end of this movie. I I saw that as more of the fact that every Robin Hood movie takes place where he already has his married men, like, or or at the at the most he'll like he'll meet Prince John and he'll meet you know Friar Tuck, and then and then. The origin takes the first fifteen minutes of the movie, and then everything else happens. Mm -hmm. um, I saw, I saw the fact that this is an origin movie, not necessarily that they were setting up a franchise, but just that they were like trying to, like, put a spin on it and be like, we're gonna we're gonna do all of the drama that happens before the Robin Hood that you know, which honestly, like, could have worked. Like, 
I could have. Yeah, it still could have. Yeah, it totally could have worked. I I feel like there was the makings of another gladiator here in in the premise and in the casting and in a lot of the scenes. It's just a lot of the other scenes and a lot of the other like the screenplay just didn't do it for me and and didn't uh, execute it. Yeah. Um, well, I still think it's supposed to be part of the franchise, but we're going to disagree about that one. Uh, I, I do get the compellingness of, of wanting the, the origin story, especially if it's going to involve France and like the death of kings. Like that's mm-hmm. inherently kind of epic. Um, and then, of course, like the, the crackdown of all the provinces for their for their taxes. Yeah. Um, which is very brutal. Like it, it does have the good makings of, 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 of great of a great setup here. But. Yeah. And the French king is pretty awesome. Like he's, he's this like brooding character that doesn't say a whole lot, but he's, he kind of seems like an awesome villain for a sequel <laughs> if they, yeah. if they wanted to, like he, when he turns around his, ter- turns his boats around, you get the sense that like, he probably could have taken it, taken over the battle and probably like possibly won he just decided it wasn't worth it or something like he, yeah. he seems like he's the, the smartest person in the movie. Yeah. Well, this also came out around the time where people were doing a bunch of origin stories poorly. Again, trying to imitate Marvel <laughs> because Marvel had done origin stories and then stopped really doing origin stories, even for their origin story movies. They start like suddenly they started being like fast paced, whereas they used to be like really slow and methodical, particularly Iron Man, right? I think everybody was trying to capture that magic, and I felt that trying to be captured here. Mm-hmm. What are the uh, what are the other non Marvel origins you're talking about? Oh, like they they rebooted the Spider Man that happened oh, around yeah. that time too, right? The Amazing Spider Man came out with the same story all over yeah. again, and still pretty slow. Uh, they also rebooted the Fantastic Four. Okay. Around that time. Oh, and the X-Men? Honestly, I'm, I guess I'm thinking... <laughs> Other superheroes, not Marvel. <laughs> Batman Begins. <laughs> well, that one worked. Uh, well, they also rebooted uh, Superman, Man of Steel. Really okay. slow. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of like that one, but still, it's... Like, everything had this, like, dark, gritty reboot, right? Wasn't that the catchphrase, like, ten years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is a dark, gritty Robin Hood reboot. It is, yeah. Um, all right. So, showing it to our kids, are we going to show it to our kids? <laughs> I'm just going to say I I don't care to. Dan, I know you have a lot of nostalgia with this one. Yeah, like I there I will definitely show probably two or three other Robin Hood movies before I think of this one to my kids. Like I, hmm. this is definitely not in my my top list of as far as all the Robin hoods go. Uh, I mean, my kids have already seen the Disney one. That's, that might be the best one to be honest. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> um, I whistle it all the time. Oh but, yeah. Me too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like I could see myself showing this to my kids. I don't know that it will ever be on the top of my mind to show my kids. And the problem with that is that, they will have to be older because there's like, there is some, there is some violence in this there. You know, he, he does get shot through the neck at the end. And, um, there are the kids with wearing the masks and that's kind of horrific. Yeah. Um, 
there's the scene where like Oscar Isaac, the Prince John is like in bed with the, the French princess. And, um, I mean, it, it, and he stands up in front of his mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why did he do that? <laughs> Who does that? I mean, I guess based on gladiator, Ridley Scott likes his villains to be sexually creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, like scenes like that. I'm, I'm just, I don't, I don't see myself being really excited to show this to my kids. And there's so many other movies that I am excited to show my kids that I doubt. Like this one's like, I, I, I could see myself being in the mood for it. I just don't, I don't know if I ever will be or if yeah. it'll ever come up. So that's, that, I guess that's my thing. My answer is just a big meh. Like I, I'm not super excited. I might show it to my kids though. When they're okay. like 16, 15, 16. I mean, I, I do it. Well, with the experience that you said earlier of growing up on Robin Hood and then seeing this movie and have it change your perception of movies. Like, it'd be cool to engineer that for my kids, if if that's possible. Just like watch a bunch of Robin Hood movies and then show them this. Like, that that would be neat. Uh, if they could, if they could have that sort of experience, and that's the only context I could ever see, which I really want to show this movie, but that does seem like a good enough reason. To... Yeah. What about you, Lenny? I mean, like I said earlier, I I have no interest in seeing this ever again. So, <laughs> and it's not that I hate it. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I just think, I mean, like you're saying, it's just kind of meh, you know. And I think yeah. the good parts it has, there are better movies that also have those, but are just more well composed. Uh, so I don't think it's a terrible movie. I just think there's nothing unique about it to me. Uh, it doesn't have any unique strength that makes me want to see it. Mm -hmm. And in terms of Robin Hood movie, you know, I think the number one thing you want with a Robin Hood movie is shooting arrows, right? <laughs> That's the whole point of Robin Hood. And he shoots like three arrows in this movie. There's barely any <laughs> archery in this movie. <laughs> like there's some at the beginning and some at the end and that's it. So... It just it. I think it lacks what what the appeal of Robin. Okay, is. so well, you know, I, I'll just jump straight to a question I was going to ask then, because the question I want to ask about this movie is, what do you want from a Robin Hood movie? Um, I, I do agree. I think you should have more arrows <laughs> being shot. Yeah, uh, yeah, but for me, this didn't fulfill my my desire for a Robin Hood movie. I'm not a Robin Hood buff or anything, but when I hear Robin Hood, what I'm expecting is a guy with basic compassion of people that steals a lot. He robs the rich to give to the poor. Classic Robin Hood trope. He's also, according to the cartoon, able to shoot an arrow through another arrow. I need to see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has to be done. Or at least, like, some amazing feat of archery, and he is not shown to be that great at archery. He's, like, shown to be... At the end, he, like, hits the, yeah, hits I think the they, poster onto the trunk of the tree. It's like, oh, that's the most impressive thing I've seen all movie, I guess. Yeah, I think at the beginning of the movie, somebody calls him, like, the best archer, but we don't really see evidence of that. <laughs> I, 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 he, like, doesn't he shoot something in that first battle where they're trying to get the, the bombs on the... Um, onto the gate and then they blow it up. Isn't there something like, doesn't he shoot something really special there? 
I think he might, but the fact that I don't remember and the fact that you don't remember either tells me <laughs> yeah. that it wasn't actually that great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm okay. I'm I'm going to say as far as this question goes, like what do you want from a Robin Hood movie? I feel like the Robin Hoods that I am used to seeing are very charismatic. Like the like Robin Hood, he's not just good at archery. There's obviously that. He he almost has like a superpower of archery. Like He's, yeah. he's the best guy that's ever existed when it comes to archery. And he's also like, he's great with his people. He's great with like anybody he comes in contact with. He's the good guy in every interaction he comes. Like he's always the charismatic guy that everybody likes and is drawn to. He's just kind of like a leader that r- rules by, um, like compassion and love of the, of all people. And, and that's not what we see here with Russell Crowe's character. Like he, he's very, he's very quiet. He's a very like almost a silent protagonist in a lot of it. Um, I, I wish there was more of like when he's intimidating, uh, imitating playing Lord Loxley or the, the son of Lord Loxley. I almost wish that, they could have used that as an opportunity to make him like charismatic, almost like mm-hmm. play the part more. And I mean, they, they do have some scenes of that. He'll have like some one lines, some one liners here and there, yeah. or he'll tease made Marion. And th- those scenes are okay. But I almost wonder if he's not, I don't know, maybe Russell Crowe's not the actor to play a charismatic Robin hood. And maybe, I mean, I clearly Ridley Scott was not shooting for, a super charismatic Robin Hood. I'm just saying, like, if I wanted this movie to be more of the Robin Hood that I want in a Robin Hood movie, I think he needed to be more charismatic. I, frankly, yeah. I think he needed to be more of anything. He's just he, Robin Hood. Stoic. Robin Hood's a bland character. Yeah, like he doesn't. He's the son of a philosopher. Doesn't really think very much. Doesn't say his thoughts very much. So it's hard to tell. This guy is ever is actually that intelligent. Yeah. He just says, "Oh, I guess we should go to the coast and catch a boat." And like the, then him and all of his men go there, and like they the, just follow him. Like and, the plot's happening to him; he's not the one like driving the yeah. plot or the changes. Yeah. Like the biggest choice they make is to uh, take all the clothes and the armor of the lords and and like pretend that they are the ones bringing the king or the yeah. the crown to the to Prince John. Oh, and they steal all the all the grain or whatever the seeds. Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, frankly, that was the goofiest, but also the part that that whole scene where they're robbing the, the coach, that's what I was expecting from the Robin Hood movie. Yeah. Lots of that. <laughs> yeah. And I remember marking that moment because I was like, this is, I think it was an hour and 30 minutes into the movie, the two hour and 20 minute movie. I was like, we had to wait an hour and a half to get Robin Hood in a Robin Hood movie. <laughs> <laughs> And we awesome. just got one little scene in the dark too. And yeah, it was it's very dark. <laughs> really, yeah. Well, it was visibly dark, but it, the tone was very light, right? Like it was kind of a goofy scene. Like a guy yeah. appears upside down, like "Where did you come from?" <laughs> and then that's when all the people are like, have, eleven people have like a rope wrapped around them, and they're all spinning yeah. in a circle. It's so goofy. Yeah. It didn't really fit." Well, and that's why I was saying earlier, I think the the biggest problem maybe that I have with this movie is that I think it's 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 a story that it's a different story than Robin Hood mashed with Robin Hood. 
like Ridley Scott is going for something different here. Yeah. And it seems like whatever he's doing, Russell Crowe was right for that, but he is terrible for Robin Hood mm. because he's stoic and quiet and brooding, which is great for many movies he does. It's great for Gladiator. Mm-hmm. It's great for Master Commander, but it's just, it's not that charismatic, snappy, witty, you know, like Errol Flynn type, you know. Even in Master and Commander, he's an inspiring leader. He is, yeah. He is much more, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much less stoic, much more. <laughs> he actually, like, I don't know, gives speaches and has thoughts and presents them to people. Yeah. He doesn't do that in this movie. Uh, yeah, and you know, there was a moment right at the beginning of this movie where uh, they're, they're attacking the gate and they're... Um, there's like he said they're sending the kids who put the the bombs on the gate, and there's this one line he says where I can't remember exactly what the line is, but it's something like, you know, um, like make it count or do it slowly and right or something. Yeah. And it was the exact same tone he used when he was instructing, you know, the younger sailors in Master and Commander. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, this movie's gonna be good, <laughs> and then it just wasn't because <laughs> that was the only moment like that <laughs> where he had yeah. that the charismatic kind of father role. Yeah. But just just a flash of that. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of... All right, I'll tell you what I wanted from from a live-action Robin Hood directed by Ridley Scott. I I kind of wanted... Well, I guess not even by Ridley Scott. This doesn't make any sense now that I'm going to say it. But, like, I wanted, like, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> that seems crucial to Robin Hood, is heist. Yeah, it's right. like the original heist movie. Yes. Yeah, I want schemes, to medieval heist, and just like how, uh, damn, what's his name? What are their names in Ocean's Eleven? Um, Dan- Danny Ocean. Oh, yeah. um, the actors of the characters. I guess Danny Ocean, but what's Brad Pitt's name? And what's Danny Ocean's actor's name? <laughs> George Clooney. All right, George Clooney and Brad Pitt. Like, I wanted that dynamic between Robin Hood and Little John. Yeah, yeah. Like. Right. Trying to get their like merry men together to, like, go on a heist and steal all of uh, King John's taxes as they're as they're on the way to him or something like that. Yeah, like in the the cartoon one oh, where yeah. they, they have the line and they're putting the bags of gold on it. It's <laughs> so much fun, heisty stuff. Yeah, I remember the cartoon Little John. Like, it's just as a woman, and then he like he goes under the treasure chest with a knife, spins. Oh, yeah. Spins a hole and then like pours it all into yeah. his chest. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. Nothing even close to that happen. Well, the closest thing that happens here is, is the seeds moment, which is really silly. It just it doesn't even fit. But if I wanted like a realistic heist movie, uh, yeah, it'd be like Ocean's Eleven in medieval times. That's yeah. It's kind of what I, that's my dream Robin Hood in some ways. <laughs> I know there's a Robin Hood from like four years ago. I wonder if that's like. The one with uh, with that kid, uh, Tom, uh, with the new Spider Man, right? No, it's the guy from uh, Kingsman. Oh, uh, it's also got Jamie Fox, right? Yeah, it's not very good. Oh, uh, I mean the villain Bummer. is uh, what's his name? I'm not gonna remember his name. Uh, but yeah, it just it doesn't really work in what, my mind. What's the tone of that one? Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like the beginning, it starts in. Um, on the Crusades, but the way it's shot and uh, the way the action is done, it's almost like a, almost meant to look like a, like modern day, you know, wars in Iraq or Afghanistan, oh, okay. where they're kind of going around corners with their bows drawn and. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know, uh, and then, 
Yeah, I, I don't have strong memories of it, but okay. I just remember it not working very well. Yeah. The uh, it's weirdly modern and kind of the costumes and the architecture and yeah, I don't know. Interesting. All yeah. right, so I guess I won't be watching that one. Then. But but to your point um, about like wanting heists and wanting those kind of uh, self-standing scenes where something clever happens and mm-hmm. you know the the bad guys are left. Uh, you know, tied together and Robin Hood and his men make it out, you know, with their plan succeeding. I, the one scene that I did like in this that I, I would say is my favorite scene is when Robin Hood decides to dress up as the knight. Um, for me, that's when I was like, I got really excited on my second rewatch of this. I was like, this is, this is awesome. They're going to dress up as knights and have to totally pretend that, you know, the, like they are all just these, you know, low-level peasant soldier men, and they're gonna have to act like they're noblemen in front of these other, you know, in front of the king, or not the king, the uh, Prince John, ultimately. Yeah. And that, I feel like that idea was really compelling, and I, um, I was very excited to see how they pulled that off and the foibles of it, and like how you know, like how they imitated it. It didn't. It didn't have everything I wanted it to, but it was still compelling enough of a, a plot point that I like, I got excited and I was, I was interested to see, you know, Russell Crowe figure out how to get through this or how to, you know, yeah. how to pull this off. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think I felt the same way, except like it, they, they weren't as nights very long. Like I kept expecting somebody to say, Oh, I know who you're supposed to be. I've met you before. I, <laughs> I know you don't look like that. Nobody ever says that. Yeah. yeah. Ever. And I mean, there's weird. sort of a moment like that with, is his name Longshanks? The <laughs> advisor guy. Longshanks? Is it Longshanks? Please the, tell the me it's not. The really good, like the good guy? Yeah. yeah. The guy who, um, or Longs, wait, you just passed it. Go down. Um, Long go up the quotes a little more. <laughs> Long, no, Robert's long stride. No, that's, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, I don't think it's long shape. <laughs> it could be. This dude is really long shape. <laughs> Call him long shape. Yeah, okay. scroll over. Uh, William Marshall? Is it Marshall? <laughs> I don't know where I got long shapes from. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> it's nowhere close. <laughs> I don't care. Let's just go long shakes for the rest of the podcast. Okay. So, so the part where he's presenting the crown to uh, the Queen Mother and, and yeah. Prince John, and then Long Shakes pulls him aside and says, "Hey, I remember you." And it seems like he's talking about uh, Loxley, but then later in the movie, we found out that Long Shakes knew. Uh, Longstride's father. Right, right. right. So maybe he is really saying, I actually know who you really are. So, maybe. Yeah, it just looked like there's going to be like a moment of recognition from Longstride's, but you never get that. (laughs) Well, no, I think in that scene, he is saying, like, I know your, I know your family, I know your father. And because he says, like, say hello to your father. Yeah, I'll help meet him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I took that as him just like not. I mean, they left for war like ten years ago, yeah. so that he was just like, "Oh, I'm I must not remember how what 
he looked like 10 years ago. Um, but I, I guess it's possible that he did. No, but there's no way he recognized him as this. Like he was a kid yeah, back in true. the day. So he would. It's just a weird coincidence that he knows both the fathers. Yes. Like it's just, it's a weird coincidence. I'm not saying that they're trying yeah. to do something. It's just, it's yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is really weird. Yeah. I mean, that's, <sighs> that's yeah. the whole problem of like Robin Hood or Robin Longstride. He's both supposed to be a common man. And then he's also supposed to have this faded, like, development as a leader because of his father's history. It's like, I, I always, I feel like movies need to either, like, t like take one side of the aisle with that. Like, is this somebody special because of who he was born from and where he, you know, his history and his, like, his destiny? Or is he just a commoner that is rising to greatness? Yeah. Like, I feel like this movie tried to tried to be on the fence with that and I I felt like it was not you know totally well done but I don't know that was just something else that annoyed me a little bit um was it what you wanted from a, a Robin Hood movie though in terms of like the Robin Hood character um I no I don't think so like I still when I when I think of Robin Hood I don't think of this version of it I think of the older sixties, you know, versions and, and the Disney one. And, you know, I think of a, uh, the bright green colors shooting arrows like that. That's, I still think of that as Robin hood, this movie. It, uh, yeah, it didn't change that for me. Yeah. And I think there's a danger of kind of being too precious about characters. Um, like, it seems like it's okay to have a new take on Robin Hood that is different from what we're used to. Yeah. My issue is that it seems like this take is in contrast. It's in conflict with the traditional story of Robin Hood. It's in conflict, it's in contrast, and it's just, I, I don't think it's well written. Yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit together, so. Do you, do you have a favorite scene, Jesse? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess I do have one. So, uh, I guess, I guess we mentioned earlier that uh, Sir Walter Loxley, played by Max von, von Sydow, and I hope that's how we say his name, because we keep saying it that way. Um, like, he's like a broken, basically blind. I think he can see, like, a few inches away from his face. Um, he's like a, a, an old, crippled man, right? You kind of see him, like, walking very slowly to places and stuff. And then... Uh, like the best dramatic moments are all involve him. So the most tense dramatic moment is when um, the 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 French is it the, the French people? The uh, is it Godfrey or yeah, God, I, I, Joffrey? No, I, I can't remember. Anyway, somebody the main the main bad guy. The main bad guy. Yeah, yeah. But, he goes to collect like taxes from him and goes up to the castle. And then all the soldiers are standing around in, in a circle um, in front of him and Sir Walter Loxley. And Loxley is, you know, he's a blind, crippled man, but he pulls out a sword, like, ready to fight. He's going to go down swinging, and he knows it. You get the impression that he kind of knows he's going to die here, but he just wants to die swinging, literally. Yeah. Um, and so, like, th this brutal battle ensues. It's not even really a battle. It's just 
it's kind of pathetic because he's blind and doesn't know where he's swinging and he keeps on getting hit and toyed with and struck down. And it's the only real moment of emotion. Not the only real moment of emotion because I did feel that in earlier scenes with, with, uh, with Loxley on screen. But, um, yeah, it's the biggest moment of emotion I felt in the movie. So, yeah, yeah, that was my favorite scene. What I love about that fight is it's well, it was pretty well choreographed where in the beginning, Godfrey or the bad guy is like toying with him. He thinks he's just a joke that, oh, I'm going to make a laughing stock of this old blind man trying to fight me. Mm-hmm. And then he actually gets struck and he gets like hit in his forehead, I think, or his cheek. And you see him almost be like, oh my God, like I, I, I almost got injured right there. From, from a blind man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I liked how that was almost a moment of like he, his pride got injured. Yeah. by this old man and you it was I, I felt like that was a clever way of showing that it's not you know it's not a pointless battle like he was probably a great fighter back in his day yeah for him to still injure someone as a blind man he was probably an amazing fighter so he's probably just using his you know his uh his old uh skills to fight and and he still got you know a little bit of a a last blow off before you know before dying yeah yeah and i'm really glad um like when i first saw that the guy got injured i was like oh no is this is going to be one of those like the old blind man wins over like an <laughs> able-bodied villain <laughs> like please don't make that the case yeah and it it wasn't like he, there was that moment of triumph like you were saying but you know ultimately he, he ends up dying which i thought made up for a much stronger scene yeah, you have that real moment, that real note of tragedy. Yeah. They, they stick to their guns on that. They really needed to have in this movie. Yeah. There's no real moment of tragedy. Because, like, there are other deaths in this movie, like the king. King dies, King Richard dies at the beginning. Well, they, I wonder. I don't think he did. I think they're saving it for a sequel. That right, because we don't alive. see him die on screen. And the traditional Robin Hood story is that Robin Hood, he sneaks he back in secret, back. right? So I'm assuming he's not dead, and they were planning to bring him back in the next one. Anyways, <laughs> I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I, I did right. not even think of that. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there, there's that death. Yeah, earlier, but uh, that which doesn't seem to matter to anyone. Nobody cares about King Richard. Yeah. <laughs> King Richard's a kind of a dick, and he kind of hates himself too. Yeah, yeah everybody, like, including King Richard, hates, hates King Richard. Yeah. yeah. Um. So like, this was the only death where it's like, oh, this matters yeah if anything it's weird that what could otherwise be kind of a motivating tragic note is so late in the movie that it doesn't like maybe like you for instance in gladiator when the tragic moment is the death of his oh, wife yeah. and kids and that sets off the whole journey of, of his, well, his adventures yeah it's because they use if they had made him his actual father yeah then it would have been a good motivating plot point but yeah. since they didn't they have to establish a relationship before they can kill him off. Well, it's also, it's in the middle of the battle that is the end of the movie, right? Or no, it's not the end of the movie, because I guess they have the D-Day battle. But it's yeah. close to the end. It's pretty close, yeah. yeah. So it's after that he rides off and demands the Constitution or whatever. Right, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what's your favorite scene in the movie? Uh, or I, I, I mentioned it, the where they all dress up as the knights. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, oh, 
Sorry, I didn't realize that was your favorite, favorite <laughs> scene in the movie. All right. So that's your favorite scene. So, Lenny. Um, yeah, I, I think I think probably, well, I don't know. I think my favorite movie, my favorite scene is probably the beginning, uh, the battle, because I think it starts off with kind of a similar, uh, it starts off with the promise of Gladiator, right? Where Gladiator starts off with that epic battle mm-hmm. with the catapults and the cavalry and yeah. it's a complicated thing and it's dramatic and crazy realistic and... This movie sort of starts with that, but it's it's also weirdly broken into two parts between two days, mm-hmm. where they burn the gate and the next day they attack, which breaks up the momentum of that scene. Yeah. So I think it is much less well executed than Gladiator, but I do think it has some of that magic that Gladiator started with. Yeah. And I think it is it's worth shutting out the I know, the excellence of that kind of high budget action that seems really well executed. Yeah. Lots of fire and stunts and what it would actually look like to, you know, storm a castle, mm-hmm. which we don't see that often. Yeah. That was really fun. I, I did really enjoy that too. And then the, the oil that they're pouring yeah. over the sides. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's brutal. And that's when you're real. That's when you're like, Oh, this is the dark, gritty reboot side yeah. of, of Robin Hood. And there's that weird part of the scene where there's all the archers up top and they're shooting and the guy comes with a soup and he's like, soup break. <laughs> and then they all eat, eat soup and there's one guy who gets his bow and kills the king. Yeah. He's like a non-archer, but... <laughs> I totally forgot about it's... that. That's such a random yeah, scene. Yeah, it's so random. <laughs> I mean, it, I think I think you're right. It's like them... It's really Scott, Scott trying to show like the realism of it. It's uh-huh. like he's trying to unveil the medieval times as this like very starry-eyed you know time time in history where it was fun to just be an archer shooting from you know from the rooftops and i don't but then he establishes that's not fun you also have to go on crusades and kill innocent people oh right yeah i actually i actually liked the scene where the king is like he's asking him will will g will, will god be Please with our crusade or whatever and he's like no they won't i almost wish the fact that king richard puts them in the stocks for that made me not i was like okay so king richard sucks like i thought he was actually asking for a true opinion and that he would some in some way like you know grow from that interaction and then it's like the next scene is them in the stocks for speaking out against him and you're like this makes me dislike everybody in this movie so far. Yeah. Like, well, the sense I got from where they're in the stocks and they're all like, oh, it's gonna, they're going to gouge our eyes or they're listing all the other bad things that are going to happen to them. And then Robin says, no, this will be it. So the sense I got from what Robin was saying in that scene is that the king put us in stocks essentially because he had to, like, to uh, save face, but he's not really mad at us and he's not seriously going to punish us. Okay. That could be a wrong interpretation, but. That was, that was the sense I got. That was my sense too, but died shortly after, and they somehow escaped from the stocks. Yeah, they just call a guy over and say, "Knock out the pins," and <laughs> yeah, like everything's going to shit at the at the battle. So they they basically decide, like at that point, yeah. nobody's watching them, nobody cares. So, all right. Um, so I got. I guess we talked about my question about what do you want from a Robin Hood movie. Dan, do you want to go ahead with, with your question? Yeah, so my, as I mentioned before, my wife really, really liked this movie. We we ended up having to watch it into, like, break it up into two separate nights, and 
at the end of the first night, which was, I think we watched almost two hours of it. So we only had like 30 minutes, 45 minutes left to go. Um, she really, really loved this movie. She couldn't believe why anybody would critique it. She's like, like, I think one of her cousins didn't like it and told her it was terrible. And she's like, I can't understand that. I'm really liking this. I'm really enjoying it. She loved Kate Blanchett's character and she loved uh, the relationship that he, she had with, with Robin hood and everything. And um, yeah, we, we both were, were enjoying it quite a bit. And then the final scene happens where Robin hood is like rides off to go fight against the French invasion and made Marion, you know, essentially like bids him farewell. And then they get to the beach and made Marion shows up with her like army of children. And, and my wife was like, this is stupid. She, she did not <laughs> like that at all. She felt like it was kind of like a, almost like a pandering scene of like, oh, we need the women to, to show how strong they are in this movie. And um, she felt like it was like an Eowyn moment in, in, to, in a return of the King where yeah. she's got to show up and cut off the head of a Nazgul to show that like, that women can fight too. And it's like, my wife was very annoyed by that because she just felt like it was very like kind of just thrown in there as a a, kind of a pandering thing, right? Like it's not that she doesn't believe that women can fight too. It's that the way they did it and it just didn't fit like the historical context didn't fit. You know, Kate Blanchett's character is probably 120 pounds and she's going up against these men that are like, you know, 250 pounds. And they do knock her off her horse pretty quickly. Right. And she ends up being needing to be saved by Russell Crowe's character. So (laughs) So it's like, there's no, yeah, she's not the strong protagonist. Like even she's, she's very clearly shown to be like an adept manager. Like she's been managing this estate for years while her husband's away. Yeah. And she's so clearly able to do that. And it's, it's kind of like they, they ruined any of that by, yeah. by saying like, oh, she clearly in order to be strong, she needs to dress up as a knight and lead children to the <laughs> battlefield. Yeah, it just didn't fit. It didn't make sense. It didn't need to be there at all. Like you could yeah. have had a very good fight, like final fight and not have her like in the water drowning while Robin Hood is trying to fight. <laughs> the bad guy it just <laughs> it just seemed pathetic and yeah so my my question with all this is because some of my favorite movies have like strong female protagonists like to call out a couple the kill bill movies are in like the top 10 mm-hmm. movies for me of all time mm-hmm. um i love a really strong female character and so what what is it about this portrayal of like her needing to go out and fight like why did this annoy me so much other than i guess it's un- unrealistic uh given the time period maybe maybe that's the final answer i don't know but what, what do you guys think like and this is a weird maybe it's a weird question for a bunch of guys to be talking about but like what what do you guys look for if, if you see that oh you know, Atomic Blonde is coming out. It's got like a, a male, a female protagonist. She's, you know, a badass. She, you know, fights all the time. 
what do you look for or like what do you expect for it to be a good portrayal of strong female fighters like just any good well-written story i don't even feel like it's that hard uh i mean like Anything but this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> like the answer. You just pointed to all of me. <laughs> <laughs> just pulled up, pointed to all of Robin here. Yeah. I mean, like don't don't have your uh, with moments. Yeah, I I I think I agree with your wife. It, it felt like a it felt like a moment for the theaters where all I, I don't know a bunch of like boys who grew up pretending to be Robin Hood, dragged their girlfriends or wives to the theater and said, come watch this with me. And they're supposed to go, it, it be in awe of this, <laughs> of this woman in armor. Um, as if, as if they, that's what needed to happen. And it, it's not, and it's not necessary. It's just, it's, it doesn't make sense with the plot. Like, it's fine if you have like a good plot, like, like you, you said it was like an Eowyn moment. That's exactly what I felt about it. It's like, oh, she needs her Eowyn moment right now. But like, that's from Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings, like, I, I genuinely like the moment where she says, I am no man. And she's like, because we've been working up to that moment for two movies. Yeah, and there's the whole thing with her father. And yeah, yeah. it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, she has an arc. Yeah. There's a change. There's reasons. There's no reason here. All you need are damn good reasons for you know, for someone who was not previously warrior to dress up in armor and go out. Yeah. Right. That it's not hard to come up with. It's just, this movie's so infuriating. <laughs> I mean, I think again, it's sort of a case of trying to like soothe modern sensibilities by putting in a unrealistically modern feminist character. Like I kept thinking of two movies when I was watching this, um, that came up recently. They're both great. The Northman and uh, The Last Duel, where both of those movies have very strong female protagonists. Yeah. But they are realistically strong, where it's not about doing the same thing as the men and, you know, you know, pure equality, like a, a modern pure equality. It's about these women in this time had to have a different kind of strength, where they had to, especially in The Last Duel, where she's literally fighting for her survival throughout that movie, mm -hmm. uh, using her intelligence, right? Or, or in... in um, in, in the Northman, you know, where it's it's all about her wiles and her her intelligence and her own unique strengths. Where it's not, you're not trying to you know force in a, a modern mindset, but I don't know, showing what what would realistically be a female character of that that age, I guess. Right, like if in the Northman, the what uh, are the guys called the Berserkers. berserkers yeah. yeah, if like the berserkers go in and they, they they pillage this whole village and then one of them takes off his hood and it's a, a female. It'd be like, really? Like I don't think that fits. Like yeah. and again, it's it's not it's not anything this against women. It's just that in historically that doesn't make sense that that would have happened. And it it's like it you're like shoehorning in something that we expect nowadays you know, that we push for nowadays, the feminists push for nowadays, and it just doesn't make sense in the historical context. Yeah, and I don't want to make it sound like like we're saying that, you know, there's these defined gender roles that women can only be in the kitchen or whatever. Um, I think it, it specifically doesn't make sense because it's historical work. Well, like, yeah, I think, for instance, there, like... There has been 
metaphorically speaking, there has been very strong gender roles. Yes. They've been, they've existed throughout history. And if you're going to make a historically gritty movie, yeah. The scene where a, a woman comes out leading a bunch of children just doesn't make sense. You need something yeah. to be, you need something to make sense with the tone that you've set throughout the movie. Yeah. And on the flip side, the scenes of her ruling the household while the men are away at war, right? Like, she, that, that made a lot of sense. It, it was, it was kind of that yeah. like World War II thing of like, all the men are gone. The women have to step yeah. up into all these, if you would yeah. like fill all these shoes in society, almost fill every shoe in society, really. Yeah. Like there weren't, there weren't any men to, to do anything. So it, it made sense to show her as a strong, um, leader of the, the Loxley family household. And even, even once Robin Hood is there, she's kind of the leader and he's, he's playing the part. And, uh, and that's totally, that makes sense in the, in the movie. And like, I, w- I had no problems with any of that. It was just to show her like, oh, she also has to be a good fighter and lead all these kids. It was yeah, like, she had, she, <laughs> she had to lead the kids because apparently that's the best she could do. And like, she's a fighter. Like when on earth did she learn fight? Like maybe she's been practicing that like, and the movie <laughs> never showed it. Yeah. I don't know why that would be the case. Yeah. And, but like, they could have just left her as like a great leader for her whole land, but they decided to not do that, and that's that's stupid. So, what I'm looking for from a, a woman who's a protagonist and she's strong in in a movie, I just anything but this. Yeah, <laughs> like like no strong person has to be capable. Of, well, guess, but doing we're, we're saying specifically though that final scene, right? Because I think, like, for a big chunk of this movie, like you were yeah. saying, Dan, she is a good female protagonist. Where you see her running the whole farm and village, and yeah, that's realistic. She's mostly she's got, very like, competent. It's it's a convincing character, I think. Like, I think it just the, takes a weird turn at the end. The dynamic that she has with Russell Crowe, I just I don't like. I don't get. So I don't like that part of it. Oh, I honestly no. don't like this character all that much. Except, like, I, I find it I find it fine. Yeah, I, she's fine. Keep Blanchard is fine in this room. <laughs> is there anything else to say about this? Just the final question. Wait, do you, do you have a question? Uh, no, I'll stop it. All right. All right. So, so I guess last question then. Is this a dad movie? <laughs> I think I know what everybody's going to say, but I'm going to give this a resounding no. I agree. Yeah. I, there's nothing specifically dad about it. Definitely Robin Hood is a dad character in in the sense that I can't wait to show my kids Robin Hood and like introduce them to all of the movies with Robin Hood in them. But yeah, this this one in particular, I would not say is a dad movie. Well, <laughs> that was way too simple. <laughs> yeah, it was way too simple, but I think we spent most of the most of the podcast kind of trashing the movie. <laughs> so I, it, it was the inevitable conclusion. Uh, but this kind of wraps up our, our chronological crow. We're done with Russell Crowe for a while. I'm sure he'll, he'll show up more in some movies, but or maybe in another series. He's got tons of movies. I'm sure there will be Chronological Crow 2. <laughs> <laughs> He's done lots of movies, guys. So many movies. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see him unhinged. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> that is a fun movie. <laughs> it's not very good, but it's fun. <laughs> um, but next up, we do have a bunch of movies on cars. Starting out with cars. Go figure. I know, right? And then, uh, wait, will it actually be cars? I think so, yeah. Is that what we're doing first? I thought, no, it's going to be speed. Speed. Yeah. We're gonna be we're gonna be going fast but not furious <laughs> with our next series, which is going to be a series about cars, except for Fast and Furious, <laughs> and not Fords or Ferraris, either. and not Fords versus Ferraris, <laughs> and I'm guessing not drive my car, and not drive my car because <laughs> I, I I don't want that one. I'm not gonna sit three hours for for drive my car, and not Baby Driver because that but was it already might... done. Yeah, that's right. Baby Driver would have been perfect. Yeah. But it, it might have cars the next time you look at our podcast feed. Anyway, from all of us and not... Wait. Before I go, I do need to shout out some patrons. <laughs> First off, there's uh newest patron, Letney. <laughs> Thanks, Letney. Thanks, Letney. <laughs> uh, then there's Elena. Thank you, Elena. And there's of course, the monumental sir, who I'm sure you've heard as an ad earlier in our episode. Check out Sir's Furniture. Uh, but yeah, sir. From all of us and not your father's movies, I'm Jesse. I'm Dan. I'm Lenny. Good night.